Um, yeah, after my first year, I guess starting the second year, I knew I was rated in the first round type thing. You knew that kind of. And then by after World Juniors, I guess that's when we won the, the thing, the, the gold medal. Um, I, I knew I was going somewhere in the top five. And then the season ended and uh, we, we lost out early first round of the playoffs. But I knew one, two or three, but Toronto never tipped their hand who they were going to take. Craig Simpson said, oh, I don't want to go. And then he changed his mind and said, OK, I'll go now. Um, so he ended up not, and, and who was it? Craig Simpson, myself, Craig Willannon, Jim Sandlack were, were kind of the, the, the names, uh, in the top three, four, five there. So I didn't know till draft day that I was actually going number one. Toronto didn't tip their hand. Um, Craig Simpson, maybe, maybe that was a spot to go. He gets to play with Mario, then, then Gretzky. So who said maybe number two was better. <laughs> That was Maple Leaf legend Wendell Clark, and you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolan. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. All right, up my hockey listeners, you are in for a treat today. We have none other than Maple Leaf legend Wendell Clark on the show. Uh, this was really special for me. Because he was legendary to me. Uh, he probably didn't know it at the time when we played together. I, uh, I highly doubt I would have said anything. But he was one of the guys that I looked up to immensely as, uh, as a young man. You know, I was 10 years younger than Wendell. So I was born in 76. He was born in 66. So that, that generation gap in hockey is a lot. I mean, imagine yourself as a 10-year-old athlete. And Wendell had been in the NHL for two years at that point. Uh, even take it back, you know, I was eight, nine watching Wendell get drafted and then starting with his Maple Leaf career, uh, scoring the 30 goals that he did his rookie year and getting over 200 minutes and penalties and making the Rock'em Sock'em Don Cherry videos. And, uh, you know, it didn't take long to fall in love with Wendell's game and what he was all about. He could score, he could hit, he could fight, uh, and he did all three really, really well. And uh, And he was just one of the guys that I looked up to. And, uh, and there I was, you know, essentially 10 years later, um, playing on his line, being in the same dressing room as him. Uh, it was one of those surreal moments that, uh, that I think all hockey players go through when they do, if they do, get lucky enough to put on an NHL jersey. And it's that wow factor. And you have to figure out how to believe that you're supposed to be on the same ice as these people. Uh, you know, once having posters on your wall and now on now on the same line uh, can be surreal. Uh, and so Wendell for me was in my top three and it was awesome to ch chat with him um, on this on this interview. And he, I mean, what you see is what you get with him. I mean, as he, what he was as a player is what he is as a human being, um, just straightforward to the point, um, honest, um, integrity, you name it, right? Wendell has it. And uh, and those roots, those Saskatchewan roots come through loud and clear. Uh, they did on the ice and they do in the interview. And, and 
boy, I just had a lot of fun with with this uh, with this discussion and this conversation, and found out some really interesting stuff. One of which is that I didn't know this, and I don't know if you know this, and we talk about it in the uh, in the conversation here to follow. But Wendell Clark was drafted as a defenseman. He played defense his entire life. He played defense his entire time with the Blades. The only time he apparently played forward was when he made the World Junior Team, and he was kind of a fringe defenseman, um, like a 7-8 guy, so they moved him up for three games on forward. So the Maple Leafs drafted him as a defenseman and then turned him into a forward without him even knowing he was going to be turned into a forward. Uh, we get right into that. That's like that's crazy, crazy time uh, that you would take the best 18-year-old in the world and just implant a new position on him when he shows up for training camp. Um, I, I, my mind is still blown over that, uh, especially with how some parents and players at the youth level react to a position change, um, you know, at the eight through whatever you name it level, um, the, where they're shocked, upset, disappointed, uh, here, here it happened to the best 18 year old player on the planet where, uh, where he was switched without anyone even talking to him. But, uh, anyways, we get into a lot of cool stuff. Uh, this guy, uh, as you know, or if you don't know, if you're a younger listener, you need to Google you need to YouTube Wendell Clark um, in a hurry because he played some old-fashioned style hockey, and he talks about it in the interview too where he's like, the way I hit, he's like, somebody was stopping because uh, the angles that he hit people at were, were pretty crazy. There was no angling off. It was straightforward, and somebody was, somebody was going backwards. And, um, and yeah, unbelievable shot. We talk about his shot. We talk about um, some of the fundamentals of how he learned that shot from his dad. And, um, and how he brought it up into the NHL and uh, what kind of stick he used and the size and all that good stuff. So there's a lot, there's a lot in here. Uh, anytime you can listen to a legend, um, you know, obviously you want the opportunity to do that. Lots of, lots of great nuggets here in this conversation. And, uh, and I know for probably a lot of you older listeners like, like me that, that this guy was somebody that you, uh, you know, you, if, if anything less, you, you had to have respect for him. He may not have been your favorite player, but there's no way you couldn't respect him and the way he played because um, he was honest and he was tough uh, and, and he could play the game hard. So uh, let's get right into it. My interview with Leaf legend and former captain Wendell Clark. Right, here we are um, back with my old linemate and I when I sent the email window I was like gosh I don't even know if you'd remember playing with me but I'll, I'll throw that in there we were on the same line for a couple of days but uh, welcome to the podcast Mr. Wendell Clark. Hey how are you doing Jason? I'm doing great man I'm doing great um, so in your and be and be super honest because like I was only there for like a cup of coffee really that one year when I got traded for Muller uh, which would maybe be memorable at the time but like I showed up there was there for I think 10 games and uh and then only played three after that. But for out of those ten games, I think three of which we played together. Do you do you remember that time at all? <laughs> no, I, I remember playing with you, but I don't remember right details. Like that right. was a like you say a phase of where we um, me remembering hockey stuff, especially is you don't remember it, and then you'll see a tape of a game, and then it all comes back. Yeah, like it doesn't matter. And we used to do the highlights for Joe Bowen. 
uh, for the 80s playoff game or something. And I said, I have no idea what happened in that game. And and as soon as they give you the tape, or this is back 15 years ago, and you'd start watching the tape, that whole game would come back. But if I was to just remember it, I said, yeah. I, I, I can't. I can remember names, yes, yeah. who was there, but I can't remember instances till I see the game. I'm totally like that too. Like I, my uh, my dad, my dad just dropped off this box, like this old dusty box of VHS tapes that he had for <clears throat> who knows how long, right? Well, back in '96, essentially, and uh, and I hadn't seen any of them, and like, that was back in the time, like '96, right? Like we weren't, the internet wasn't around, like you couldn't YouTube anything, you know? Like I, I never seen myself play um, really a pro hockey game. Like there there was VHS that we would watch, like with the coaches sometimes here and there, but. Anyways, he brings this box over, and sure enough, like there's two or three games on there, um, you know, playing with the Leafs, uh, a couple with me with the Panthers, and I didn't remember any of it, you know, like none of it. But it was super cool to watch and to see. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. I don't, I don't remember details. I mean, that that moment for me was obviously a big moment in my life. I mean, being traded uh, for Kirk Muller and coming over there and and being a Toronto Maple Leaf and you know being around that environment. So I remember a few of those details pretty well but one of the funny things is um so they gave me number seven when i came there which um was an honor because you know lanny and some obviously some legends have worn that number before but i was number 17 in in um which we probably never talked about i was 17 for four years in in spokane and then 17 with the florida panthers and then when i came obviously i wasn't taking your number so they gave me seven <laughs> No, it, it, well, yeah, well, maybe he should have offered a, more than a Timex watch or something. I may have taken it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah, that was a weird time, though, because you guys had just come off, you know, I mean, like your, your kind of the, the a couple of the glory years there when you were there and, and the team wasn't doing quite as well. And they were in the middle of a rebuild and, um, you know, trying to trying to figure out sort of the direction of the team. So yeah, no, I just that, remember that was... it was, you know, like the guys were great, but it was it definitely felt um well, you've been there, right? Like the, yeah, you're no, rolling. I was, uh, well, I had just come back a year earlier, basically a year and a bit from the Islanders, got traded back from the Islanders. Um, and we didn't win right away. Um, and so the whole transition, right then the transition was going on because Dougie was the big centerman. And then all of a sudden, Matt's gets traded for me back in 94. And, and so that basically right starting in that 96, 97, 98, they were switching and building the team around mats then. Uh, yeah. And then that was the, the changeover right then. So a lot of, there's lots, we had lots of teammates going in and out and around at that time. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's when I think Dougie was traded that year a little bit before, or maybe right before the deadline yeah. that year. And then, so Muller left, I think Ellett was gone then. Like there was a few of those, you know, the elder statesmen that were part of the, part of the run there that they were moving around. And like yeah. you said, bringing some new guys in and seeing what fit, but um, I want to cover, I want to get back and dig back into, you know, your, your career. And I mean, your outstanding career and sort of the, uh, you know, the genesis of it, uh, you know, lots been said of the, the good old boys from Saskatchewan, you know, that, and so many have come out of Saskatchewan. Uh, do you want to briefly just touch on what hockey was like for you growing up, um, uh, in, in the Saskatchewan area there? Yeah, no, I, I come Kelvington, Saskatchewan, small town, 900 people. Uh, uh, Melrose, Koshers, Clarks, uh, that whole kind of era right there. And a ton of other guys that went on to play junior or college or, uh, tier, you know, either be tier two or tier one junior. There's a lot of players come through Kelvington at that look for a little town at that time. And even the area, the old lines coming out of Quill Lake, the Alanook, Plonich, Federico's coming out of Foam Lake, 
like that whole area had just a, a, a plethora of players coming out for, for a bunch of small towns. Uh, yeah. But grew up, no artificial ice, you know, natural ice, waiting for it's cold enough to play. And then you'd not get off the ice from December 15th till uh, March 1st. You're on the ice every day, just a small town. But then we had no artificial ice. We didn't skate more than that. People thought, you, you know, and you, you didn't. Um, and, and so you really did it in a short window uh, versus today when you got the artificial ice, every town has it. And, and so did a ton of playing, used to go to training camps at, at 12 years of age, started going to junior camps. Uh, my dad, uh, being a former player uh, a little bit, um, he, that was his way of getting us ice time. We'd, we'd go to the Humboldt Broncos camp, the Prince Albert Raiders camp, the Yorkton Terriers, Regina Pats, Sastoon Blades. I'd do all the camps. I think you, you pay a hundred bucks and you got to skate in October. And he always knew, you're getting cut. You're not going to make anything, but it's getting ice time. Meanwhile, you're skating with uh, 16 to 20 year olds and you're 12, 13 years old. And then, so just, uh, th that was part of getting ice time back then, um, uh, coming from a small town. Right. So you, when you're saying artificial, do you actually mean artificial or do you mean like, like actual covered rink with, with like, yeah, pipes? we had covered rink, but everything was natural ice inside. So it wasn't until it got cold enough that it make ice indoors. Wow. So oh, okay. you're, you weren't, you weren't really skating till December. Wow. Um, you know, you might I'm glad I asked skating. that. I didn't know what you meant by that. So even the covered indoor hockey rink needed it to be cold enough outside. It, yeah, you had the doors open, the cold air coming through, and, and then you just kept layering it. So as the spring came along, you probably had maybe 10, 12 inches of ice built up in there. So as it wasn't as cold, you kept wearing the ice down. Um, but that's uh, letting people know how cold Saskatchewan is, that you could have natural ice in a building. Um and so I remember, I remember one year we changed lines as kids in Invermay, Saskatchewan. We had to change lines from the dressing room. It was too cold to stand on the bench. It was minus 40 in the rink. Oh my God. And, and back then, remember we had no, uh, no face masks, no. So you wore mitts and toques and not the equipment you had today. You couldn't have stayed in there because hockey gloves and helmets and masks today, it would have been too cold to play. Right. That is nuts. I played, um, end of my career there, I played over in Germany uh, in the DEL and there were some outdoor rinks there and it was uh, super. I mean, you'd have, you'd have like, you know, the state of the art facilities, right? That would hold 20,000 people. And then you'd go somewhere and it'd be an outdoor facility uh, that would hold like five. Like that, that, that league was really wild that way. But I remember there was a couple of times there in, 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 uh, in those games where the water bottles were frozen on the bench, right? Like you couldn't even, you couldn't yeah. even drink water. Um, yeah, oh, the, yeah I remember that. I think we had training camp with Tampa over in Germany, and you had the half rinks, like the half, half, half would be indoors, half would be outdoors, yeah. and and uh, the whole gamut. Yeah, it was fun. So when you, um, what was what? Actually, you mentioned Ber Federico there. We we just had a, an outdoor classic. We called it for my U13 team, which which we play. So I rented the outdoor rink, and I had everyone wear whatever NHL jersey that they had. And one of the dads had a Federico uh, jersey uh, from St. Louis. And told me the story. I guess he like grew up next door to him when when he was playing in the WHL, and was really the reason why why he ended up falling in love with the St. Louis Blues. Um, so I didn't. What, what a hockey player Bernie was. I mean, Bernie was up, and he had been the first hockey school. I went to Yorkton Hockey School, and that's where I met uh, Bernie Federko. Was the you know the big NHLer. Uh, yeah. Him and Barry Morrow was kind of the same coming out of Kelvin in the same era. And he'd played senior hockey against my dad. So when he was a 14-year-old playing senior, he played against my dad and Calvin because Full Mike was in that same senior hockey loop. Uh, so got to meet Bernie and, and Ken, his brother, and Dennis Plonich was there as well uh, with the hockey school. 
another another guy from the the area and, and so there was a lot of that was my first hockey schools and met bernie and and uh probably you know got to follow him uh opposite kind of how he played but just his skill level that bernie played with for a guy i always said this for a guy that couldn't skate well he was 100 points every year and and a lot of players um that maybe are a lot of fans that didn't know Bernie because of playing in St. Louis and the games weren't as covered back then. And I would, I'd compare him. I said, well, he's got the same stats as Daryl Sittler does. Just to give you an idea how good Bernie Fierko was, he had the same stats as Daryl Sittler. And then they go, Oh my gosh, he's a, yeah, he was a pretty good hockey player. He's yeah. in the hall of fame for a reason. Yeah. Um, but okay. you didn't know that because he played in St. Louis and, um, the road games when I started out, you know, St. Louis probably wasn't covered unless it was a leaf game. A lot of times you could, uh, a lot of bad things could happen in a hockey game back then. And <laughs> it wasn't covered other than in the paper, there'd be a little, so that's why nobody got in trouble. It was never really covered that closely down there. <laughs> that's right. Everyone's got a million cameras on you. Now you can't do anything, you right? You can't get away with anything now. Yeah. Um, what's your theory on what, what's to be said about Saskatchewan just in general? I mean, most people that are involved in the game know that Saskatchewan produces more players to the NHL for the population than anywhere else in the world. Um, like what's, what's your theory on that? My theory is it's the only thing to do in the winter. It, it, it's, I just known that from my son who now plays the American league with, with Hershey, but growing up in the city and coaching in, in Toronto area, kids hockey, kids have so many things to do now in today's world with technology and everything. So you're, you, they're always moving from one thing to another, but in Saskatchewan back in our day, but, and even today you are committed. Like if you're playing on the Kelvington you know, I have uh, friends that are you know living in Calumton now, and they're they're playing hockey out of Prince Albert and Yorkton, which is a hundred miles in either direction. That's who their kids play for, so they're traveling a hundred miles every day for practice or games, and and, and so just that there's a commitment level there that I think players and parents, because it's the parents that have to make the initial commitment, and and I think there's a real commitment. To whatever they pick, it might be volleyball, whatever the sport. But if you picked hockey, that's what you are doing. You don't have time to do other sports and other things right. just because of the travel time. And I think there's even more travel now because the towns are smaller, the more people are playing in in different communities, and so there you're driving upwards of two hours every day one direction. And then when you did play, uh, you played the whole province. So Yorkton played, you know. Uh, Swift Current, Moose Jaw, Regina, like there was lots of travel involved to play a hockey game, even as a 12 year old. Yeah. We're in the city, you grew up where I always told when I coached my son in the in Toronto, I said, You guys are spoiled because you think it's expensive, but every rink's 20 minutes away. Road game, home game, everything's 20 minutes. And we really don't, I can find a team that can beat us 20 minutes away. I don't have to go to any tournaments anywhere. Like <laughs> Toronto is, is, is actually special in that way for hockey, in that. There's so much competitiveness because of population. You didn't have to travel to, to find teams to, that were good for competition and, and stuff. So that was a bonus for the Toronto area. But in Saskatchewan, I think it's the commitment that you have to make at a young age uh, from the parents. Then it rubs on to the players probably uh, because the parents are telling their kids, listen, if I'm going to drive this far, you better try when you're on the ice. There's no, there's no not trying if I'm driving two hours to a hockey practice. I think you probably hit the nail on the head with a couple of things. Well, one of which you kind of said, but didn't say, but like in the wintertime, as a, as a Saskatchewan boy growing up, 
I mean, all of the best athletes were hockey players, right? Because there was really, like you said, there wasn't too much else to do. So I think a lot of that, the, the gravitas towards hockey was like, you're playing it. You know, like if you're a good athlete, you're playing it. So when you get all the best athletes doing one thing, I think that helps your chances. Um, and the other side is, I mean, which we've talked about is kind of that farm mentality. Like my dad grew up in Roxton, Saskatchewan. I don't know if you know where that is. Yeah. Small little, small little town. Um, and, you know, he tells me stories of just like what the lifestyle was like, which was markedly different from what it was like for me growing up in Vernon, British Columbia, right? We had five acres, but I wasn't picking rocks after school or, you know, the, the, the things that he had to do. Right. Uh, do you think like that type of, I don't know, like that type of work ethic. Did you grow up on a farm? Is that what was I that grew up farm, Yeah, we're farmers still. Yep. We uh, grew up on a farm and I think there's a, a work ethic and it, 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 you make it sound better than it is, but it's it really, it's just you, you worked, but work wasn't called work. That was just what you did. And I think that applies to a lot of things when kids play sports is, well, if we're doing it, we're doing it hard because you're used to the physical labor and that was just part of it. And another thing, was uh, you, you did it for a while. You didn't just okay. We're going to work. It's going to be an hour. No, no, <laughs> you're there all day. It's and, and so you you. I think uh, a lot of players appreciate when you get to the city and you tried out for your first junior team or what it was. You're going. I mean, if I make the team, I don't have to go home and work on top of going to school. So you're there was that carrot to stay in the city uh, with the city kids and and play hockey and and back then when there was fighting. Uh, I, I often tell people when I speak, I said, well, it's probably easier making it when I played than it is today. Uh, it's more one dimensional today because the fourth line guy is really skilled. Like there, there's so much skill involved that every every level of your hockey team is really skilled. Where when I tried out, um, if you weren't good enough and you probably left your own small town as the best player in town at that age. But when you got to the big city, you're. You, you realize there's a lot of kids that are good hockey players. So you said, if I, if I beat the guy up, I can stay as well. So you're like, you found different. That's when you, you know, when you tell players that uh, you have to change as you get older, you don't know when that is because you're going to find out somebody's better than you and you have to adapt or change how you play the game. And, you know, those were options back then that you could come out or Joey Kosher comes out as, you know, he's two years older than I was. He was the best player at that age group coming out of Kelvington and area. By the time he gets to junior, well, I guess I'm beating guys up to stay in the league that, you know, you know, so that's, and then, you know, he still had points, but everybody was so scared of him. He could do what he wanted on the ice. Um, but that's how he ended up making it as a tough guy. He had to change. He, he didn't leave town as a, the tough guy. He left town as the best player, but then adapted with the Saskatoon blades. And then, not, and then, you know, as a 15 year NHL career. Um, but, and, and, and I think that's where players learn uh, to adapt. It's the biggest thing with players of any, time now or then was adapting as you get older right yeah no great points you know, i mean back to that farm you, you talked about work not being work it's just what you did and i think that there's something to be said for that because you know you got to show up i remember a conversation i had with tom laidlaw same thing kind of same upbringing and, and just sort of like his roots and what was his dad was all about and what he had to do you know to just to you know live uh, to be part of the family right and it was you know you don't get you don't get not to do it right like the cows need to be Cows need to be milked, you know, in his scenario, right? It didn't matter what the That's temperature twice was. twice a day whether they likes it or not. Yeah, exactly. So whether you like it or not, you're doing it, you know? And I think that that mentality is a little bit lost. Um, I mean, 
one where you get brought up, but even generationally, right? I think it's a little bit easier now. Kids are, you know, it's like they, what they want to do right now or what they don't want to do, and they're not really forced to do some things. So when you show up at the rink and now you're a hockey coach, I, I see that quite a bit, right? Oh, today's today the light switch is on for so-and-so, right? And, and tomorrow it's off, right? So, but that consistency, as you know, is um, – that's is a pretty big attribute for players, right? It's that's a it's a huge thing, and and just not just in sports, but in life is if you can show up and work and learn as you're working, you will catapult yourself in today's world because uh, because of technology and what kids grow up with today, their mind they're they're on to the next idea rather than no no I gotta hang in there and do this and we didn't know that's what we were doing back then, but really right. you were hanging in and figuring it out and and doing one thing where today you get to move on to the next idea so quickly. And it's tough uh, for these kids to, I, I, you know, watching my son play and play in the American league, I said, you're learning how to be a, they, you know, in NHL, they call it, you're learning how to be a pro, which means every day, like they're, they're teaching you and you think you know how to do it, but really you don't. And then you're also adapting, you, you, you know, you, you leave minor hockey and all that as the skill guy, but now you got to learn to be the fourth line player. And most kids can't, make that adaptation to learning how to, okay, I got, I'm a role guy now. Now I got to be really good, work really hard for 10 minutes of the game. That's all I'm getting, but I still got to, and that's, that's a learning process. And some players get it and some, they just don't. And and it's just not right or wrong. It's just that that's how it is. Yeah. Well, I, and that is one thing that I talk with the players I work with about because you, you've mentioned a few times now, like that leveling up, right? When you do level up in a league um, for most players, unless you're, you know, a prodigy, you don't just get to be on the power play first time you show up at, at camp, right? Yeah. So, like, you have to you have to learn these different nuances of the game that maybe you didn't even know were nuances of the game, and maybe you don't even enjoy them that much, right? And, like, and that's the disconnect because, well, I don't really want to be on the PK, right? I want to be on the PP, yet, you know, now you have to find whatever passion within that role and, and like, learn that role so you can end up doing what you want to do. And I think that type of persistence and that type of, um, you know, passion, I guess, really, just for the game as a whole, right? That I, I just don't like hockey because I get to toe drag and score goals, but I like hockey, these other elements too, right? So I can continue to do to do that for a longer period of time. Yeah, no, it's a, it's the whole package now. The kids today probably, it's harder uh, because the, the, there's you're, it's the whole world. You know, you, you go back to the 60s uh, and, and earlier, all the players came from Saskatchewan, um, Quebec and Ontario were the just of the league in the NHL. And then now then it spread to the rest of Canada and, and, and the States. And now it's the world. It's, there's a lot of players vying for the 32 teams. It, yeah. it doesn't get easier because there's more teams yeah. and everybody is coached well now in general compared to growing up with everybody's dad, just put opening and shutting the door. I said, there's, yeah. there's a whole level and it happens so young uh, where they're playing organized hockey and and uh, the players really don't mature and they don't know that strength mentally and the whole package till about 23, 24, 25. You know, you, I used to tell the kids and when I'm speaking to them, I said, don't forget about the midget draft, the Bantam draft, the junior draft, NHL draft. It's the phenoms, the prodigies, like you said, that make that next step at 15, at 18. I said, the rest of you, you don't become who you are till you're about 23, 24. And that's when. The college players finish college. The junior guys go and play two, three years or more in the minors. And at that age, now at 23, 24, you're strong enough. You're, you think the game and you figure it out. Do you love it or like it? 
Because if yeah. you love it, you change how you play to be able to make it. And it's it doesn't happen at 20. I, you know, just it's it's hard for kids to understand that. But that's you are learning even though you think you aren't. Yeah, no, I know. And that's part of the uh, the scenario of being humble enough to realize you don't know it all. I mean, I was there. I mean, you think you don't know what you don't know, I guess, is the biggest thing. Right. And to be able to ask the questions and be able to look for mentors and to be able to, you know, like I said, be be vulnerable enough, I guess, is a right way to put it, to admit that, hey, there's more out there for me to learn. Right. Like, how do I how do I get better? Yeah, no, like, uh, like I, I tell my son, and he still probably doesn't do it because I probably wouldn't have been, at my time. You're a quiet kid coming up. I said, you don't, instead of stewing over it, go talk to the coach. And it doesn't have to be the head coach, the assistant coach who gets to know the players better than the head coach even. I yeah. said, you might not like the answer, but you'll get an answer. And don't be upset at the answer, but you can also express yourself. And they're not going to say you're right, but something may tweak them as well. Like yeah. there, there'll be something that comes here, but, but don't stew over Just ask questions. I always tell players, just ask questions. And, you know, then, then you don't put anybody on a defensive because you're asking the question. Yeah. And they're able to do that now. You know, you're 10 years older than me. Um, and he, and I'm sure in, in your area, when you just came up, there was a, you know, jump and you said, oh, hi, sir. And that was the end of it. Right. And then even in our time, there wasn't too much back and forth with the coach. You'd sort of wait until they called you in. Um, and then you'd have a your, your meeting with them, which mostly you would just, I mean, sit there and listen. Right. But now today's player. And that's one of the things that the coaches are saying more like they ask questions and they want answers, yep. you know, and uh, obviously the good coaches aren't telling them what they want to hear all the time. You already said that it might not be an answer you, you, uh, you want to hear, but they're more than willing to sit there and, and, and take your question. So I really encourage players to do that too. Well, I it's, think it's, it's, uh, it's so good. Like I, I laugh during the middle of the game when I watch the TV now and you'll, you'll see the iPad come across the bench and the players. And I'm like, on oh, our day, we just told them we had our guy. And then it wasn't until VHS tape 48 <laughs> hours later that they'd tell you, no, and you knew you didn't have them, but you just, <laughs> you just lied on the bench and you wanted to deal with it 24 hours later. Um, but right now they just bring the iPad to you and go, no, yeah, it was your guy. And, and, and so, but now you're like, you said, like in our day, breaking down tape and VHS, that was a punishment. Remember you had to sit for hours after a practice just to break down that one little two minute thing that they wanted to show you. Cause they had to find it, bring it. Everybody's sitting there watching where today, the night, you know, right after the game, they all get, here's your 22 shifts. Like they all get it. And I said, how great's that? You can teach yourself, you know, cause you might think it one way. Then you watch going, no, I wasn't that good that shift. And, yeah. and, and these guys can, they have so much and kids today learn off video. Like, cause they, they do it on technology with what they grew up with where we didn't grow up with video and, and, and stuff like that. It was yeah. basically told and, and, and stuff. And that was it. Or you had to learn because the coaches didn't communicate as well. So yeah. if you didn't figure it out, you may have just got moved on and you don't know what you did wrong. All right. Yeah, no, for sure. There wasn't too much telling, you know, what they wanted or didn't want. You just had to do it, you know, and hopefully you figured it out uh, yeah. on your own. Um you mentioned Joey Kosher already. I mean, yourself was obviously recognized as a as a real tough customer. Is that something to be said of like the upbringing as well? Is that Calvington? Like, was it was it a was it tough yeah. at school? Was it was it was there fights all the time or no. how did that work? <laughs> yeah, not really, other than uh, on the ice. But we, we, there was no real fighting until pro until junior hockey. Um, but Joey was a tough kid growing up all all the way through. You just he just didn't just didn't turn on. He was he was tough as nails. He always had the baby face, so nobody thought he was that tough 
if you if you didn't know because he I, today I don't think he can grow a mustache but it's uh he he was baby faced and looked younger than he was and and was tough as nails and was smiling doing it um and not a big guy you know six six feet six one a little bit but probably the hardest puncher one puncher that anybody's seen uh, maybe him Tony Twist uh, back yeah. in the back in the day Twister just after him a bit but. Um, and, and he, but he had skill leaving Kelvington too. Like he was the guy for his age and then, you know, got to go to the next level. And, um, I remember my first training camp I was on, I was, it was Joey was making the team. My older brother was making the Saskatoon blades Dawn, uh, but Dave Brown was there too. So you had oh. Dave Brown, Joey Kosher, Daryl Stanley, all these guys were on the team at Saskatoon ahead of me. So that was the first time I ever played forward as a, a 14 year old. Um, they said, you're going to play in a line with Roger Corco, who was, Ended up with the Islanders a bit, and and uh, Dave Brown, he'll protect you out here, because because Dave, those guys would make about ten cuts themselves in one fight in training camp, and everybody else would, okay, that's enough. I'm not going to play junior, because <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the old days of the training camps back, two a days, and 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 it was just a war. Nothing made sense when you really think about hockey. Uh, how we did training camps in the old days didn't make any sense on on picking the best players. So I want to take one more break here to thank Verbero Hockey and uh, Andy Sutton with Verbero. Uh, I've been working with them for about a year now um, using their products. I use their jerseys and their game wear uh, for my spring teams. Uh, I use their stick. My boys use their sticks. They just created junior uh, line model hockey sticks. So they got a 20, 15 flex, 25 flex, 35, 45 all the way up. Um, they didn't have those before. They do have the lightest stick on the market. Their stick is fantastic. And, um, and right now I know that the sticks are really hard to come by this, uh, this episode right now is being aired in February of 2022. Uh, there's a supply chain issue. A lot of sp- sports stores don't have sticks in, uh, and you have to wait for them even from the online stores. But Vivero has a, has a great stockpile of sticks right now. So if you want to go to vivero.com. Uh, forward slash Padolin, you can get 5% off your sticks. Um, and they offer them at a discounted price compared to what you would see in uh, in the local store. That's what Verbero is all about. They don't go to the retail outlets. They go direct to the consumer. So they can offer top quality products at a, at a substantial discount to what you'd be paying in the store for the top of the line Bauer, CCM, what have you. Uh, so anyways, if you're, in a, if you're in a stick crunch and you're looking, um, go check out Verbero. Like I said, verbero.com. That's V-E-R-B-E-R-O.com forward slash Podolan, P-O-D-O-L-L-A-N. And you'll get your 5% off uh, off the stick there. And the stick is to your door uh, if you're in Canada within the week usually. They come out of Ontario. We got ours in, uh, in, in five days. And um, yeah, it was great. Got right into the lineup and uh, TJ got his first hat trick the other day with it. So uh, he's, he's all jacked on it. So anyways, yeah, lightest stick in the market. Really good product. Uh, really good game work. Check it out. Uh, now back to the episode with Wendell Clark. <laughs> but yeah, it got, it got out the people. I mean, right or wrong, I guess. There was definitely like a, yeah, like a, a carving out process. Like I remember even... You know, I played junior in 96 and I've had that conversation on here before. Like you, you had to love it. You said like it or love it, right? Like you had to love it um, because it was hard. Even as, even as somebody that I would call myself a goal scorer, like we ended up in scraps. I mean, I had, I think I had 12 scraps my, my, as a 16 year old and that wasn't even what I was there to do, you know, but 
Um, but you had there was there was a level of toughness that you had to have, and you couldn't really escape it because you couldn't pretend it. You know. Yeah, no, and it wasn't that you had to win them. You just had to be. It, we called it, it just show up. It's because yeah. uh, uh, teams that didn't have the toughest guy. If you played team tough, if your team all stuck together, you would overcome any kind of single toughness uh, because your team. And that you look at all all the best teams really in any era. If you have some team toughness with skill, as you you which means you you play as a team, you stick together. Doesn't matter the situation. Odds are, you'll end up winning. You'll find a way to win. Right. And, and that's that that's one thing that hasn't changed. I agree. I agree. You talked earlier about like the, the kind of like the un like it's not that much, there's not that much layering. Like the, the, the same, the, the same player exists on the fourth line, a lesser version as a, a, that is on the first line now in today's game, right? Everyone can skate. Everyone has skill. Uh, one of the things that I've just been really talking about on the program here the last little while, because I've been going to a lot more junior games now and I've been watching a lot more NHL games. Um, just how dynamic a player can be when they are physical in today's game, because it's, it's so rare. It's, like it's you, rare. You do, it's, that's what I said. If you do that one thing and, and the hitting has changed um, um, the way I hit, which it hurt you as much as the player you're hitting. You come, two guys come to a dead stop. Sooner or later you're going to get, uh, but uh, as I call it in today's hitting, if you can finish your check and I call it the 30 to 50%, you keep moment, you keep your momentum going, but you've made the opposition come to a stop. They have to regroup. They have to keep their head up. They have to keep their mind open that something may happen. But if you just stick check all the time, everybody can do that if you're a good skater and you think the game well. But if you do that, plus you finish your check a little bit, there's a dimension in the game now, uh, whether it be Wilson in Washington or um, – and you only have to be a big guy, uh, the guy we just lost going to, to Edmonton. Uh, he just plays hard, finishes his check. He's only 175, 185 pounds, but he's in your face. And if you just do that, because there's not a lot of it now, yeah. you do stand out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's like, that's sort of, as the pendulum has swung right to the skill side, I think, I mean, I watch youth hockey too, right? Like it's, it's so much different now that those players are the players that you can get, a, you can get noticed. You want to get noticed by a scout, like every shift where if I see a, a hit in a game, like it's like, Oh, I notice it because there's, it's just so rare. Right. So if you do want to play hard um, in today's game and make people pay the price a little bit, like, boy, you're adding a dimension. And when, what do these NHL teams even want now? Right. Like they want guys that can play. Of course you have to play, but if you can play heavy and if you can be mean and if you can keep, the, the opposition have their head up, as you say, like, my gosh, like that's, you're a valuable, valuable well, asset. Any and it's a value that you maybe don't notice every night for the 80 games because they're long seasons, but come playoff when the season changes just a little bit, <laughs> your minutes go up. All of a sudden the game's played more in the middle. Cause if you don't get to the middle, you don't score. Like scoring's never really changed. If you, if you don't go to the same areas, um, you're not going to score. And that's been every era is the same. And with the hockey being the skill level now, they keep you to the outside. So you have lots of puck possession. You look really good, but nothing gets done right. um, come playoff time. You still have to go to that area. Yeah. And, and yep. that's where those guys that finish their checks and battle, they are most valuable. I read, um, I read that you – were you drafted to the NHL first overall as a defenseman? Yes, I was. Uh, I was defense of the year in the Western Hockey League, probably Canadian Hockey League. Um, drafted first overall. I got to training camp, and they said, "Okay, you're a forward." 
Can you like that? I I can't believe that. Like that blows my mind. Can you imagine that happening today? Yeah, no, I can't see uh, Connor McDavid walking in to say, not that I was ever a Connor McDavid, but go. No, I think I'll play where I want to play. Um, <laughs> but that was, you know, I do whatever it takes. Now, in in defense of the the Leafs back then, they well, they did it to Gary Lehman, was a defenseman, best defenseman in the WHL, became a forward as well for the rest of his career. Um, so Toronto had that habit of, of doing, I think they were drafting, uh, the, the best player at that time of the draft, which is still kind of what the first round is to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but had I been drafted to Pittsburgh or New Jersey or the Islanders or whoever else was high, I was going to be a defenseman. All my interviews, I, I was, was defenseman, um, had I been drafted to somebody else and the world juniors was the first time I played forward ever. I played uh, in the six games round robin. I played three games forward and three games defense. Uh, so the Leafs must have watched the three games I played forward at World Juniors. So uh, is at the World Juniors at that time, because it was in Finland, they took eight defensemen in case somebody got hurt. So John Miner from the Regina Pats and myself, who was an offensive um, physical defenseman as well, we both played forward and defense um, in, in World Juniors. That's wild. So yes, you won gold there in '85. I was gonna say that we have. Uh, I we I won gold in '96 with with the team too. Like, was that one of your highlights of your career to to be able to win gold there? Yeah, it would have been because you're. A, it's the one thing I always tell people: uh, getting to play for a team Canada team is unbelievable. Because you're even more back then than today. You have no. You go to training camp and you have no idea who these other kids are, but everybody's good. Like it doesn't. You know, they're in our training camp was in Belleville, so there's you know, 50 guys at training camp. Uh, there is no summer camps leading up to all this stuff. That was just, okay, there's the camp to, to see you. So you meet all these players from across Canada for the first time and, and you get to play for Team Canada and you don't realize till you play in the NHL who some of the guys that didn't make it. So my my year, uh, Gary Roberts got cut, Joe Newendike got cut, Todd Gill got cut, and Patrick Waugh didn't make it. Think of that lineup that didn't make it and the three of them I think are Hall of Famers now. So that's how hard it is to make. And so then when you get a chance to win with the group and you, you might've been a star player when you left your junior team and now you're a role player on the best team. Uh, it's, it, it's fun because you're, you're, you're meeting guys and playing at such a high level and you're playing uh, for your country. Yeah, no, fantastic. And, uh, and really, I mean, I've had a few guys on here that have won gold, uh, and it's always in their top three, regardless if they played a thousand games in the NHL or not. Like you really have to win like something grander, right? Whatever that is, a Stanley Cup or maybe Olympics or something to really like replace that. Because as a, I mean, those are those are formative years too, as you know, right? 19, 20 years old, 18 years old, like to represent your country at that age and to come back with a gold medal is pretty special. Um, can we, let's dive into just that whole transitioning to forward. Like, like the learning, like, was there a big learning curve for you? I think it's easier probably to go from defense to forward than forward to defense, I think. Um, but how, how was that? Like, when did they tell you? How did you find out? What was your uh, yeah, first, your day, yeah, first day of training camp? I walk in and they see, okay, left wing with Cortnell and Lehman. That's how I found out. I read it on the door of the dressing room. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't really argue, but as long as I stayed in the NHL and didn't go back to junior, I was happy, <laughs> but um, I was always an offensive defenseman anyway. Um, but the, the game back then, like I, when I coached my kids in hockey, I said, you, you guys are as organized now at 13 as I ever was in this early days of the NHL. Like 
our, the, when I played forward in the NHL for my first year in 85, the only rule I had was third guy high. That was our whole forechecking system, third guy high. Think of it, how, <laughs> how kids are coached and how NHL, how you play as you learn the game, how much more involved you are now than you were then. And no, no wonder Montreal won a lot of cups or won the Islanders or if you were coached well and put together, why teams would have a great run back then because the other teams weren't as organized, didn't do as, as much. You, you were going really on the talent of your players only, not as much of a system. And, and Toronto wasn't the only team like that. Other teams were the same. Yeah. You, you um, kids today, they, they, you know, coming out of minor hockey, they've, they've learned a lot in positioning and playing and, and, and it's not like it's complicated because it, nothing's complicated. It's just, there's your role. So if everybody knows it, it's easier for everybody on the ice, um, yeah. you, you know, but if you're just on your own, uh, you're not playing. The other team can pick you apart pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I sometimes wonder if I overcoach now. Like my, my boy, I got three boys, 12, 11, and, and uh, nine, right? So they're right in those formative years of hockey where you know nhl is the biggest thing i mean it's just like that great hockey age you know right now like second year yeah. second year peewee first year peewee and and so i'm coaching them and and we're really working on like this the defensive structure at least in our own end like i try and keep them like free-flowing and creative in the offensive zone and through the neutral zone but try and give them some foundation and some structure in their own end uh like stuff that i didn't get taught until junior hockey no, really you didn't learn it until pros, junior or later yeah yeah and i wonder like do you think that there is like, do you think that these kids maybe are overcoached now? Like where they're, you know, like everything is kind of so structured and positional. And every time they're on the ice, there's somebody with a whistle in their mouth. Uh, I just wonder if some of the creativity gets potentially lost or what your thoughts are on that. Um, yes, depending how they're coached and what the pressure of the coach has to win or is he playing to make kids better. Because uh, yeah. winning doesn't mean you're making anybody better. Because everybody thinks, oh, if you're winning, they must develop. I said, no, you just, you just, rec if they grew up in the city of Toronto, you just recruited the best 15 players. Uh, you didn't make them win because you outcoached somebody most of the time. But there yeah. are good coaches. And I understand why coaches are, are paid in kids' hockey now. They're paid at everything else, whether it be uh, gymnastics or this or that. And, and the coaches are, spend a lot of time at the rinks now with these kids. They're, where we were a couple days a week, they're six days a week now at the rink, whether it be games and practices. Um, but I think the to a certain extent, I think people may hate to hear it, but the skill stuff is almost overcoached, the individual skill stuff, because the game, and I always explain to people when my kids were growing up and they, I'd say, who's your favorite player? Cause our kid would be getting so fancy on our team. Well, Sidney Crosby. And they said, well, go watch a Sidney Crosby game. He doesn't do any of the stuff you're trying. He's simple. He just shoots at the net. His most highlight, his biggest highlight goal that everybody remembers uh, was the Olympic gold medal in, in Vancouver. He just shot it, got the puck, came to him, just shot it between the goalie's legs or something. Like There wasn't nothing fancy about it. It was just hard work, right spot. And, and and we miss, sometimes we do so much skill, we don't do enough of the hard work part. Where in the old days, it was all hard work stops and starts with no puck and no skill. Now we're doing so much skill, and sometimes we forget about the hard work part. Um I think in systems with kids, it's you just do the simple. I, I say do the five of diamonds in front of the net uh, support. If you take the middle away, the other team's not going to score. Uh, they can have the puck all day long on the outside, especially in kids hockey. If you always start from the middle in your own end and, and offensively the same thing. If you get to the middle, you can score. So that, you know, the two things, hockey and soccer, if you don't get to the middle, 
the ball or the puck, it's not going to go in. So you can keep it on the outside all day long because nobody shoots the puck well yet. Goalies are actually probably better than the shooters are at that 13. They're starting to grow, but the kids don't shoot that well yet, or they don't know where it's going. Um, (laughs) So you still have to get to the middle. So defensively, I always used to tell the kids back to the middle, all five. And then, and then offensive end, if you don't get the puck to the middle, you're not going to score either. Um, Cause you, you, I'd ask in the, in a meeting in the dressing room, I'd say to the goalie and outside the dots, blue line, the horseshoe, I said to the goalie, if you can see the puck, will you stop it? And every time they go, yeah, if I see a long shot, there's not a, no, there's nobody in the league that shoots that hard yet that I can't just stop it. Yeah. So then I tell the forwards in the room, see that you're not going to score from way out there unless you get to here. So I used to use it in both and keep it simple, but um, and we were fortunate enough on a team. I always went with one less forward and one less defenseman. So all forwards had to play every position. I used to do the, the numbers thing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five. So you didn't always get to play center. You didn't always get to play left or right wing. You had to play all the positions because you're trying to teach the kids. And sometimes it's the parents more than the kids is the more positions you can learn, the better chance you have of making the junior team, the college team, the pro team. Cause the coach says, can you play over here? And you go, yeah, I have done that before. And, and you're, but if you've only ever played one position all the way up, you may be, you know, not cutting yourself short because you don't want to play another position where learn them all because who knows where you end up when you get older. I ended yeah, up at I'm- forward and I played defense my whole life. That's insane. I mean, I still, that blows my mind. I can't believe a first overall selection gets, gets just automatically told at training camp that he's going to be forward. Like that's insane to me. Um, And good for you to be able to adapt. I mean, yeah, I mean, couldn't be spoken from somebody who knows more about it than you. I mean, the ability to know more positions, it definitely makes you, um, well, it just increases your chances. Like you said, you know, like you can, you can play anywhere and makes you more versatile and it it makes you a better asset to the team. Um, yeah, they get so stuck. Like I'm thinking right, right now, there is sometimes in games where I'll switch some of our f- forwards back to D and D up to forwards, usually if the game's a little bit out of hand one way or the other, just to get some exposure. Um, but in practices, I try and mix some things up. Uh, they do try and specialize so early now where kids just think that, you know, this is what I am. And it's, uh, you know, not only does it help you as a player, but it helps you understand the game more, I think, right? Like well, you, if you go back. Yeah, if, yeah you know, if you know the other players' positions well, then then you know, you understand why, like you're, you know, you, you tell the players, so, you know, the defenseman, you're getting pressured. Where do you throw the puck? I don't know. I said, just throw it behind the net. So then tell the forwards, We're, what are the defense going to do when they get under pressure? I don't know. Go behind the net. Cause that's what he's told to do. All of a sudden it looks like a play and it's not a play. It's just your release valve that it's the yeah. farthest thing away from the other end. And you come up with the puck again yeah. and you're just, but you learn what the other position uh is we'd, we'd have our defense and forward switch who who does the one-on-one offensively and defensively learn how to skate under, understand what the other player does and and at the real young age almost at the adam adam peewee uh because when you're dealing with the parents in the cities they go well my son's a defenseman or something or a forward a centerman i said do you ever ask why your son plays center and they go why he gets to take the draw that's the fun part of starting the game you start with the puck it's the face off so i said let all the kids take the face off because i really don't care what your position is at seven eight nine you're kind of learning it 
Yeah. But let them all take the face offs at certain times. I, I used to say, I don't care who takes the draw. I just, you know what your role is after the draw. That That's it. Yeah. Because that's the one carrot that every boy or girl wants at the start of the game yeah. is to take the face off. That's the fun part. Yeah, they love it. Um, spe- speaking of your, 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 your saying like the ability to know what, uh, what is hard. Like I, I, once I got done with pro hockey and I came back and wanted to still play hockey, uh, it was tough to find like a spot where it didn't, you know, like being a forward in, in men's senior at 32, it wasn't really fun for me because you can't really try and, you know, like whatever. So I ended up being a goalie. I bought all goalie gear and, um, and I'm like, I'm going to try this tender thing out. And my gosh, like, I wish I would have done that or had an exposure to that earlier because like knowing what's difficult as a goalie, right? Like how to see, like even the release of a shot, like all those little nuances as a goalie, like uh, would have like makes you a better goal scorer, obviously. Right. Same thing as a D man. If you know, as a D man, it's difficult when a guy does whatever, like you can do that then as a forward. So I do think it helps you as a, as a, you know, just as a hockey player in general to know what the different positions, what the tendencies are, what's difficult, what's not. Um, and especially at a young age, like parents, well, parents especially are the ones that get so wrapped up in where, where little Johnny's playing and what, what position he's supposed to be. And, you know, just relax about it. Learn the game, right? Uh, learn it all. Learn, learn, learn it all and be in a healthy, as a parent, you're trying to put your child in the healthiest position possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you grew up in Saskatchewan, a small town. Well, that's, <laughs> we had 12 guys that made the team because there was only 12 trying out. We're here in the city of Toronto. There's so many different teams. So don't be so upset that you, just go to a different team. Like, cause there's, there's, I don't know what, there's 12 AAA teams. There's 36 AA teams. There's 250 A team. Like just change teams. So you, you and, and be in a healthy situation. Don't, you know, when you're in the cities, don't, right. don't be stuck and upset and, and sometimes it's it's you have to play because we grew up in the town of Calvin. So till Bantam, I basically played house league hockey at the level of a city, a small town, till 13. Then I played in the city and at home. I played in three teams when I was 13 and 14. Um, the two in Calvington, Bantam and Midget, and Bantam in the city. You could do that back then. You could so I played on three teams. Um, but parents think that if they're kid is too good for an age level that they're not learning i said no they're learning how to get confidence with the pockets there's they're doing the fun part of the game so sometimes they want to move them up to play at the best level now they don't get to score they don't get to touch the puck they're good enough to make the team but they're not good enough to do what's fun and and so watch moving your kids too much competition let them have because there's there, there comes a time when you're not the goal scorer anymore you have to learn all these other so yeah. never take the fun part um, away just because you're trying to be so fast. I, yeah. I think a, a ex-player agent uh, said, I've never seen a player not make it because they took their time getting there. But I've seen lots of players that try to get too good too quick and they're, they're either strength isn't there to play older or they're mentally not at the same age as the kids they're playing with. And, and all of a sudden they get knocked down a peg and they don't, once you lose confidence, as we all know, you, that confidence is huge at anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stacy Roos said on this podcast, who's the assistant GM of the, of the Tampa Bay lightning. He, he I, I remember it cause it was pretty profound. He was just like, you know, t- confidence takes a long time to earn and it's, and it's really quick to lose, you know? And, and he took that path with his son, Austin, who's in his draft year this year and just never rushed him, kept him at home as long as he could, you know, didn't rush him, didn't rush him, didn't want him to play at 16 in the WHL. 
Um, just wanted him to, yeah, whatever. Keep that confidence. Keep keep feeling good about himself. He's like, the game's hard enough. You know, you don't need to make it harder, right? No, um, I keep pushing him in these uncomfortable situations. So I think that's pretty good advice there for sure. What um, you you went to Notre Dame, correct? I went to Wilcox at Notre Dame two years. So okay, so that's like the original hockey academy. At least that's what I kind of think of it as. You know, like it was. It was a place for these young men and women to go and 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 to play hockey, and you're away from home at a young age. And now these academies are all over the place. What was your experience with Wilk with Wilcox? Well, that was the first place, not knowing if I'd make it. So I, I went there as a 15 year old. So that's when Bantam and Mid or Midget was 15, 16 year old. Uh, same made the same team, and you know, you're that was the first time I went to a training camp where there's 100, 140 kids from the school trying out for that Midget team to be on the best because that was the hockey type school then, right? And, and so making that team was probably one of the biggest uh, things that I got to do as a 15 year old. And then just the whole thing where we were, where it was so much more advanced because we were on the ice seven days a week in, in, in there when we play the city teams, whether it be Saskatoon, Regina, Yorkton, they were still on the, on the ice three to four days a week. You know, the city teams only practice twice a week. You might play one or two games. So a lot of times it wasn't that we were way better in skill because we, we really only lose five games a year. But we, we were on the ice so much. By the third period, you just rolled over teams because you were in such good shape. You, you did so many things in repetition. And then now with the hockey academies everywhere and, and these Bantam and Midget teams in the cities have these programs where they're on the ice like junior teams now. Um, they, Notre Dame has a tougher time. They're not the only team that's on the ice that much. Uh, right. All these other places are, are mimicking what they started back in, uh, I guess I want to say 80, 78 would have been something like that when they started getting really good. Right. When you, um, how was that? So you had, you had, uh, you had a brother, which you already mentioned, like w- with your parents and leaving, leaving home at that age, was it, you know, was there someone like, was mom trying to pull you back or was she supportive or were you the one guiding the ship there? Or how did that whole thing decision no, get made? Well, my, my older brother went first. He made the, he, he went as a, basically a role playing uh, defenseman. He, he only ever played, played junior tier one and then coached and managed lots of junior teams. Um, but he went there and made the team. He was, you know, four years older than myself. So he would have broke the ice out of leaving and, and, and leaving home. And then I was second. And then my younger brother was third going through there and then ended up going to the Regina Pats earlier. Um, but that, that, that was, uh, uh, you really learn to grow up. It's the kids looking after kids, right? The grade 12 students are looking after. I went there in grade nine. So you're the bottom rung starting out. And, and, uh, but you really learn uh, to respect each other, not just as in the hockey, but the whole life skills that you get at a school. I always say a lot of the boarding, good boarding schools, there's a lot of life skills that kids learn early because it's, it's not parents solving the problem. It's kids in general solving the problem. Right. And did you do you look back on Wilcox? I mean, because I went there. Actually, I should have mentioned that. So at four, pretty much the same age, so 14. I grew up in Vernon, British Columbia, which is a million miles away, both in topography, geography, everything, right, to Wilcox, Saskatchewan. And we heard about Notre Dame and, you know, I mean, the legendary status, the likes of you and, you know, the, the people that had gone through there. And I was a good, good player back in the day. And I was like, well, where's the best place to play? And so we went out there and I was an only child. So no brothers, no sisters. And, uh, and we toured it for a weekend. My dad dropped me out off there and he was going to allow me to go there if I wanted to. And 
it was just yeah i mean it just i i couldn't do it right i was like i don't think this is this is right for me and well, maybe no, it might have been the best you, thing for me who knows right but i kind of turned around and went the other way and we never ended up staying did you enjoy your you went there for two years did you did you enjoy your time there yeah no i i i loved it uh because it's easier for somebody coming from a really small town because you know wilcox is a town of 110 people and then the school adds another 300. So that's the whole community right there, right in the, is basically the school. So if you come, city kids had a tough adaptation to it because you come from everything to do to nothing. Like it, like it's where yeah. I come of farm life, but we're, this is, this is normal. All of a sudden you have roommates, you never had roommates before. Um, so that, that the transition was easier that way. Um, right now, I think it's harder on them recruiting because these schools everywhere have bigger system where Notre Dame is still if you're going for football or volleyball or hockey that's that's what you're doing right. um, but if you're committed to that it's a lot of fun there's that early transition that first month and a half of school as your grade 9 10 student that's a tough that's a tough growing up uh, uh, period uh, mm. because you're on your own and like you say it's the kids solving uh, the problems but if you're an athlete you loved it once you were there because you were in sports whether it be a hockey or whatever you didn't visit it was Everything you do is with sports um, outside of the school. It might not have been hockey all the time, but you're always being active with other kids. And, and that was a great thing. And my first year I went there, my second year, I actually made the Saskatoon Blades as a 16-year-old. And, you know, that's okay. I was in my billet house. That was the happiest day of your life. You finally made the, the WHL. And my dad was driving the combine. He radioed my mom and says, go pick up Wendell in Saskatoon. He's going back to Midget. He's, he's not, he's not going to play on the junior team. And so I got draw. I was never so mad as as then have to play another year of midget. But probably the best thing, uh, best thing that happened because I got to be the best player in the loop kind of thing. And it's your the confidence you gain just what you could do on the ice. Where he knew because of how I played. <laughs> My older brother who was on the blades at the time and and him probably thought you know what he may not make it. That's pretty because. That year, I think there was five bench clearing brawls between the Regina Pats and the Saskatoon Blades alone. So he says he gets caught in one of these wars as a 15, 16 year old. It's not going to look good um, because of how I played physical to begin with. So I think they were thinking ahead because of how I played that you're not a 20 year old yet. You're still just 15, 16. You're not where where I think sometimes parents think, well, the kids are the same size out there. Said, no, that 20 year old's got Mike look the same size on the ice from ours, us in the stands, but that 16 year old and 20 year old one's got man strength and one doesn't. And, and that's, they look the same on the ice with equipment, but there really isn't that's And because of uh, physical fitness today, there's a big difference between a 20 year old on the ice and a 16 year old. Now yeah. we're in our day. It was just a big farm boy was big and strong. There was no extra conditioning that made him stronger. He was just, he was just stronger. Yeah. Where today, with the physical training that kids do, that 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 twenty-year-old's a lot stronger in junior than the sixteen-year-old is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So that wow. So dad made dad made the call from the combine and said, yeah. "No, Wendell's not playing." And and no discussion with you. You just found out over a phone call. Over a phone call, knock on the door, pick me up from the billets in Saskatoon, took me back to the dorm <laughs> in Notre Dame. Wow. Hey, so that was a tough, tough call. But um, like you said, I guess it turns out to be the right one. Hey, in your mind. Yeah. I think it's it, just the skill level. It, it, you got to do everything. You know, you, at the time you're not thinking that, but you're, you're doing every crucial skill. You're playing midget hockey or at the, at the right age, you, every first power play, every penalty kill, every situation you got to be in it. 
Right. Where if I'd been playing junior, I'd have been the seventh, eighth defenseman. I'd have been the last on the power play, the last on the penalty kill, because the Blades were a good team then. Yeah. And so you wouldn't have got that quality ice time. Not not that it would have held you back, but you wouldn't have got – I'd have done more watching than I did playing. Right. Did you – um? I mean, the, the, your draft year is obviously way different even than my draft year and way different than the draft year of the guys now when, when I'm talking about media coverage and publicity and everything else that goes along with that. Was there – like, what was your draft year like? Was there – at any point, was there was there tension? Was there nerves? Like, did you know where you were, where you sat in the scheme of things? Like, do you remember what that was like for you that year? Um, yeah, after my first year, I guess starting the second year, I knew I was rated in the first round type thing. You knew that kind of – and then by after World Juniors, I guess that's when we won the, the thing, the, the gold medal. Um, I, I knew I was going somewhere in the top five. And then the season ended and uh, we, we lost out early first round of the playoffs. But I knew one, two or three, but Toronto never tipped their hand who they were going to take. Craig Simpson said, oh, I don't want to go. And then he changed his mind and said, OK, I'll go now. Um, so he ended up not. And, and who was it? Craig Simpson, myself. Craig Willannon, Jim Sandlack were, were kind of the the, the names uh, in the top three, four, five there. So I didn't know till draft day that I was actually going number one. Toronto didn't tip their hand. Um, Craig Simpson, maybe, maybe that was the spot to go. He gets to play with Mario, then then Gretzky. So who said maybe number two was better? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You never do know. That's so crazy, that draft. It really does, you know. Uh, shape some careers right i mean if you get in the right environment and with the right players well, there's and you so know. much environment whether the organization's environment do they bring you along do they throw you to the wolves um and, and it t- depends on the personality of the player you, you know if you're a follower you know you get in a bad situation you might go the wrong direction if you don't have a good leadership group or maybe you know so you, you never really know um yeah. that's that's you know what stage you know i some of the kids i was coaching growing up with my son and they're they're now playing in the NHL and the parents said, well, our team's not that good. I said, really? You're worried about what NHL team you're playing on? <laughs> Just sit down and watch your son play hockey. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> you know, how rare it is that somebody gets a chance to play at that level and then yeah. you're dissecting the team he's playing on. No, just right. have fun with it. Cause they're at the highest level. Just take a short break here to thank you for listening to this episode. And thank you for being with me for all my episodes. And to thank you for sharing the episodes and for ranking the episodes and for reviewing the episodes and all the stuff that you do to make this thing possible, to make it worth my while to go out and find these amazing guests and to have these conversations. I do thank you. Uh, And as the podcast grows, uh, we're reaching more people and more people are giving me direct messages and are giving me thank yous and are saying what a difference the podcast has made for their player or for them as parents. So um, I thank you to allow me to do what I do and to help impact people uh, and players uh, to be the best they can be and to learn from from these discussions and conversations. So thanks again. Every time you, you like a, a social media post or every time you recommend um, the podcast or, or one of my services, uh, you know, you're doing someone else a favor because they're being exposed to the program and to the information and to the to the services, which um, which I'm very proud of all of them. So uh, the more people that that can be helped and supported, the better. So once again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to the end. And now back to the conversation with Wendell Clark. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing too. And that's the funny thing is like, sometimes like, I mean, like a team like Ottawa, let's say, or even, well, maybe even Montreal now this season, like you get a chance to play on that team. Yeah. It's not a great team, but be thankful that it is not a great team. Cause you're probably not playing for Tampa. You're in the minors for five more years, you know, yeah. if you're lucky to get in there. Right. So like yeah, some no. of these guys that get a chance and end up having established NHL careers is strictly because they're on a crappy team. Right. Yeah. No, your foot's in the door earlier. You prove yourself. Uh, where you might play on a good team. Like if, like if you're getting drafted to our team with the Leafs right now and you're a skill guy, you, our skill guys are all 23, 24 years old. You know, you're Matthews, Marner, like yeah. Nylander, right? I said, that's a tough – if you're the skill guy, to step into that lineup in that role, boy, that's a tough one to fill. Right? Like Because yeah. they're they're going to be here for a while. They're, they're not going nowhere. Yeah. It was, you know, so that's – where if you get to start with a lesser team, oh, I get myself into the league. You know, you're starting in Chicago right now or Ottawa or you, you're, you, you get called up, sent down, called up. At least you're getting that carrot of games because they're, they're trying to see who they have. Yeah. Or when you're on the, you know, the Washingtons, the Toronto's, you're, they're, they're just trying to, they've got their team. They're just trying to fill with pieces. They're not, they're not giving guys chances. Right. Do you, looking back on your career and, you know, you were always, well, I shouldn't say always, I mean, towards the end, like you said, things change as you get older and you establish yourself in the league. But when you came on the scene, especially out of junior, you definitely weren't shy of laying the body, definitely weren't shy of dropping the gloves, and you always were able to put the puck in the net. What uh, what did you identify more with? Did you identify more as being a goal scorer or did you, or did you really like the, the fisticuffs and the rough stuff? Yeah, I, all of it. I think I liked all of it. I, you know, it came with this, the skill part. And because we weren't a good team at the beginning, we'd make the playoffs, but we didn't have to have a, you, at 500 or under, you're still making the playoffs in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and, and we were a pretty good team skill-wise, but because you were losing a lot, uh, because I played physical, you had to answer to what you did. In today's game, you don't have to answer to what you did. Like today I can run over Connor McDavid and stand there and look at the visiting bench and nothing happened. Or if I did that to Wayne Gretzky back then, there was a uh, there was a Semenko coming, followed up by a McClellan, followed up by a McSorley, followed up by... And so you had to pay the piper if you wanted to play that way or you didn't play that way. And the game stayed calm. Yeah. And, and so because I liked playing physical, I, I would always have to answer the bell to somebody uh, as an honest player. Okay, I, I, I hit your best player. I owe you uh, something. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, when the players used to uh, dictate the game. Uh, where now it's done by rules, so it's a little different that way. Not not a wrong, but it's sometimes I think it's harder on our finesse players in today's game because nobody on the ice can help them as much as you say you have the rules doesn't allow that guy to help protect you because he's going to be thrown in the box early. Yeah. Um, in in most cases, in, with yeah. the rules of the game today, not a right or wrong, just how the games changed. Um, but. Uh, um, but if, so if maybe if I'd gone to a more skilled team and the coach says, no, no, you're not fighting. We're winning the game anyway. Cause in the old days, you're either up to your, something was happening or down to something was happening. That was yeah. really, especially in junior hockey, when you did those long road trips, that third game in three nights, the visiting team just made the game ugly because yeah. you knew you couldn't skate with the home team. There's your third, third and three nights on a Sunday. And then you're getting on a bus and the bus would drop you off in front of the school to go to school Monday morning. Yeah. Well, that was one. I mean, I, I still I mean, of course, the game has changed. We've talked about it and there's, there's less, you know, fighting and, and, and the brutality, let's say, isn't isn't what it was. But there's still like there was a game last year where Philadelphia, I think they were in 
New York, I think, and they lost like six nothing or seven nothing, right? And I was like, okay, this is the Flyers. And I looked at the box score at the end of the game. There wasn't one fight that game. And I don't know, I mean, you say whether right or wrong or good or bad, but I was like, how do the Philadelphia Flyers lose 7 nothing, and not one guy's mad enough to get in a fight about it? Like That still just blows my mind like that that's happening. And I mean, mind you, the Flyers don't have a great team, and maybe they need to get back to that a little bit, you know? I, I don't know. Like, How do you feel about that type of scenario? No, no, when the game starts getting again, there is a little bit of, okay, There, it's uh, it probably how when we started to change in the, the 90s under Pat Burns coaching us, um, and, and that it was because Toronto is technically the hardest place to play at home because there's always 10 kids from Ontario that this is another home game for them. So we had, you know, Bellows coming in and Gradsky and coffee and they, they were having big nights. So Pat Burns basically wanted us, listen, if they're going to beat us, they're going to be black and blue when they leave, you know, because they're good and they might beat us, but it wasn't going to be an easy one. And, and that was how we, taught us you know he had Gilmore's and that running our offense but if the game was going to go sideways he goes make sure they're limping out of here make sure they <laughs> make sure they understood it was a hard game when they won when they left and that right. that was the mentality of that team and and there's still something to be said about that where when I if, you know if I was playing if I'm a power forward right now and I'm playing against a defense that nobody hits at all on the other team on defense they're all very good I can be a better player because I don't have to lift my head up. I know I'm not getting a hit. I know at worst I get poke checked. So I have a lot of confidence on the ice when the worst thing that happens to me is a poke check. <laughs> there's no physical harm at all. I, I, and, you know, there's something and you know, playoffs do change. All of a sudden that fifth and sixth defense, when you didn't see that much in the regular season, you start seeing a lot come round two, three, four, because they're playing hard in your face hockey against the other team. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, with with you and your career, I, I read it uh, in something that I read there, doing a little bit of research there, that you, you had a pretty bad back injury your second year, and then I noticed that you played like 81 games in your next three seasons. Was that because of the back injury, or, or what happened there? Yeah, no, I basically playing, uh, you know, our I think our trainer was a boat mechanic in Toronto, uh, back, and all teams were the same way. We never had physical trainers. You, if you got hurt, you had the surgery end with the doctors, but then there was no rehab. There was no rehab. Hockey was the latest sports league, I think, where there was good rehab at the rink with trainers and stuff. And now it's great. But back then, and so I went through every injury you think of. You just kept playing through it. I wouldn't have been the only one. All players played through through stuff. But I hurt, end up hurting my back. I think it was the last straw that says, no, you're – and so I missed 100 games in a row starting my 15 – after about 15 games in my third season, I missed 100 games. Then I come back, then I blew out my left knee, and then I blew out my right knee. So that was my four or five years there. I had the back and then two knee injuries. And that was, each knee injury was a 40-game injury. Um, back then, today, you wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have lasted long. But back then, remember, we used to cast the leg, and I only had a medial collateral injury. They'd cast the legs. So you'd lose everything. You didn't train. You didn't do anything because they put a cast on it. Right. Where today right. they'd have kept the whole leg. You probably kept skating in today's world. Right. Um, so the hundred games was that your back, and what was the back? Hundred games was the back, and and basically I went I went to London, England to find physio. I went to the Mayo Clinic. I you, you name it in the world, I went somewhere uh, to find it. Our doctors at the time says you may as well retire because uh, you're not getting better. It's a back injury. You're done. 
So that was two and a half years in, my team doctor said, you're done. Um, so I ended up playing 15 years, basically on my own, going to find some place that can help. And then we ended up getting a trainer, Chris Broadhurst, uh, became the trainer who came in and that was the first really knowledgeable person. And him and I spent four hours a day for the next six years, two hours in the morning and then two hours at night, uh, before and after he, he put in some huge time. That's interesting. I was just talking to uh, Chris the other day. I wanted to get him on the on the show, and we're going to set something up because he was there when I was there. He's great, great guy, obviously. And I, you know, that that aspect of getting to know the players. Like, I mean, he probably knows you as well as anybody. I would assume, right? Yeah. No. He. He. The, you were. You were spending so many hours at my early days of of treatment because he became on as our our head uh, trainer. And I, because I took so much time with treatment, I'd do two hours before the team would get there. And then the, he would treat all the other players and practice. We'd practice. And at night, I'd come back at 7 o'clock again, and I'd spend another couple hours with him. Yeah. And that was basically even when I was playing right up in through 94 when I got traded. Was that, was it a, like, what was it, a disc issue? Or was it some type no, of? basically muscular because you kept playing through stuff. And then you, you change how you play so you're, your body's always adapting and never really working the same again, whether it be right. playing like our day, you, you know, if you get in fights today, you break your hand, you don't play anymore. In our day, you just made a bigger knob on your stick and you didn't fight with your right hand. You follow your left. <laughs> it, I, I never stopped playing when I broke my, my right hand. I would just make my, my, my stick would be like I was putting it around there because I couldn't close it. So you'd make a knob on your stick. So think of that. You're playing, but you can't shoot. You're just out there playing. <laughs> but you're you're adapting how you play and, and you know, i play i separated my right shoulder in junior and didn't miss a game so you played through a separated shoulder in junior um we didn't have trainer they, there was no you just kept playing if you, if you did um, so that was where today they're smarter they they can go okay you're you're settled down for a while because you're hurt yeah well it would have been fun to watch a a Wendell Clark, uh, uninjured, uh, an uninjured Wendell Clark, uh, go through the, go through his career. Cause oh, actually that changes you as a player. I only had one surgery when it was on my shoulder and I, I, you know, I never came back from it the same guy and it was just one, you know, I, I think it's, it's tough, right. To get, to get through those, uh, to get through those injuries. Yeah. And, uh, especially if you're a physical player and really, and I, I tell people, uh, probably the best specimen right in your time is, is Eric Lindros. You think of the, the, there's your best specimen as a hockey player, whether you're looking at a guy that's 240 pounds, six foot, four or five, can do everything. And he only plays eight years because of health. Like it takes it if you're, because he was a physical player. So if you're going to give it sooner or later, you're getting it back. Yeah. And it doesn't matter your size uh, in sports. Uh, it, it takes, it's wear and tear. You watch Ovechkin start, when Ovechkin first started, he was hitting as many people as he was scoring. He was that prolific of a scorer and finally he figured it out going i'm going to be sore if i keep up the hitting so he really backed away on the physical play yeah. and now look at the length of his career because he he really only steps it up physical wise come playoff time because yeah. he's such a good goal scorer he could do that mm -hmm. um but he figured it out early that i can't keep hitting guys because it's uh and the, and the size of the player changed when i started the best players say your your trotches your gretzky's your all those they were 185 pounds, six feet, six one, five ten, and then by the end of my career, Matt Sundin was 235. Like your best players that didn't play physical, you couldn't affect them anyway because they were bigger than the physical guys. 
uh, you know, that's how in your era, that's when, you know, players, even the skill guys, Zamnoff in Chicago, people didn't realize he was 225 pounds. Yeah. Like, not affecting him playing physical. No, Mario was a big man too. Mario's a big guy. Yeah. What, um, with your stick, so you were known for your wrist shot, uh, of course, you know, your your release and everything else. Uh, I was watching some tape from you at Juan well, also remember when we were playing, but uh, to me, I, I thought you always held your hands a little bit closer than than most people do uh, and, and generated generated a lot of torsion and, and, and flex on those old wooden sticks at the yes. time. Um, well, how long was your stick and like what... what 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 about the wrist shot? Like, what, what do you think? Why do you think it was so effective for you, or how did, how did you go about developing it? Um, well, basically, uh, growing up as a kid, played defense my whole life. My dad, because he bought the sticks, I wasn't allowed to slap the puck, ever. So even on defense, as a ten year old, or I had to wrist the puck to the net all the way through, just wrist shots. Um, so growing up, and he used to take the stick. Remember, you'd heat up the old wooden sticks, and he'd straighten them all so they're dead straight, no curves allowed. So then you're really learning how to pick, give somebody a, a kid today, a straight stick and say, learn how to shoot. Well, you have to learn how to shoot heel to toe. Cause you're, you're, there's no strength when you're a youngster, unless you learn to shoot heel to toe off your heel, especially with a straight stick. Um, so that was learning and you had to learn how to bend a wood stick. Uh, Cause that was how a jump Or today. I'd love to be able to shoot the puck today. I think in, in old men's hockey, I use the, uh, the Austin Matthews pattern because he, he shoots quick and he doesn't, his hands are close together. So a lot like mine, only quicker because he doesn't have to, you don't have to work to bend the stick today. It's like a golf club. So, and that's Austin's probably the, the best at it as far as quickness, uh, how he it changes. Cause he's, he's not like he's got the hardest shot in the game, but he's got the quickest shot. So that makes it look hard because mm-hmm. he, he's got it. And then it's gone because he, he doesn't have to drop his hand to shoot the puck. He just shoots it in stick handle form and not many guys can, can do that. And he, he's perfected that. Um, but th- that's, uh, that's the one thing is, is, is just getting it away and goal scorers know where to shoot a foot off the ice inside either post, even with my head down. That's in today's hockey. You tell kids, I said, most of the time they're not looking, the game's too fast. They're just goal scorers know where the odds are good. Yeah. And I remember talking to Dave Andrzejczyk, who was a teammate, 600 goals in the NHL. I go, where do you shoot? He says, right at him. I go, what do you mean right at him? Well, I get it back again, so I get another shot. <laughs> and so here's the guy at 600 goals. And, and he goes, no, because I keep the pucks in front of me. It's always around the net. And what I noticed today, because the goalies are so good now, uh, the players miss the net more and more all the time because they're be, trying to be too perfect. And now it goes and they miss high and wide just the same premise, just get the puck on the net and then it stays in around the net. But if you miss the net all the time, you're back checking or you got to go get it again. And and so the goal scorers, I remember Brett Hall would put the pucks on the ice and turn around and just turn and shoot. And anywhere on the ice, he could hit the middle of the net without looking. And and that's how he practiced. Just make sure I hit the net. Mike Bossy ahead of me. They said, just hit the net. That's interesting. How was your shot with with this with this new technology? It probably you probably it's, just rip it harder than you did yeah, back in the no, day. No, it's great. It's you, you have to tell yourself not to take the big wind up because uh, there's back pressure now. These guys back check. Is that allowed now in today's game? Back checking. <laughs> um, uh, and so you're trying to teach the kids to shoot with the puck in front of you now because of back pressure. When I started, about your era, that's when back pressure came back. Used to be third man 
picked up the wide guy in the two defense, played the guys. Now we got back pressure. Um, mm. So if you're not quick enough now, for a lot of kids, they slow the game down and they get checked from behind. I said, you got to keep that puck in front of you and shoot uh, quick with your hands close in front of you. Would you recommend that? Like, did you recommend that for your son? You said you were coaching him, like as far as getting away from the big curves early to try and teach the fundamentals of the shot? Yeah, I, I tried. He fought me and he still fights me because they all like the Ovechkin type curve. But most of them aren't strong enough to shoot from the toe of their stick when you're younger. And it also, to put the puck on the toe of your stick, it takes longer to get it away. Where if you've got the Crosby curve, if you watch Crosby shoot, it's from the heel. It's quick. Um, he has a short stick, but he handles everything in his feet so well. Nobody's as good as that as he is with a puck in his feet. Right. Um, but I would always teach kids to keep the puck, if they can, hands out in front because of back pressure. There's, right. You're not getting checked from behind. You can still get the shot away. Yeah. And if you're square to the to the goalie, the goal, if you do the quick snap, the goalie can't read where it's coming from. The slap shot, the bringing the puck back, the goalie can dictate or predict where you're going to shoot it, where if you keep square with the puck ahead of you, he has a tougher time picking it up. Um, I agree. The, That's one thing I say to my kids now. I mean, anyone who ever asked me about goal scoring is like, of course you want to shoot the puck hard, like you said that, but I mean, hard usually equates to a longer release, right? Like you have to have the puck in the right spot and you need all these things to happen to shoot the puck really hard. But if you can shoot the puck quick and not allow that goalie to be set, not allow the goalie to be able to make his read, um, I think that is just as effective, if not more effective, than a hard shot. And that's that's one of the ways I scored the goals that I did, is just get it off your stick as quick as you can. You're, you're really just getting it there. You're, you're right. Don't get them set. Cause, yeah, as the kids get older, as I d- told my kids and then my son all the way up, I said, you have to respect your, like you learn as a forward, you learn to shoot until junior hockey. They used to just beat the guy and then have the goalie. Well, starting in junior, you have to respect that the defense was pretty good. And so you have to learn to shoot through the guy. So you have to learn to get it, use him as a screen, shoot through him, don't hit him, and get it away quick. Because you have to respect that the goalie's good and the defenseman's good. So if you think you're still going to beat him, you're just going to get checked every time. Yeah. So you have to learn to get the puck away quicker with you know decoys, defense, screening, goalie not being able to read something. I said that's the new – and some players can adapt to that. They still want to beat that last guy. Yeah, and then they're at the goal line. There's no place to shoot anyway. There's no place to go. Like, what's the first thing you tell? You, you tell a fast, a fast, you know, a McDavid or whoever in today's game. You go just back in. Maybe he won't shoot. Right. Like, just keep backing up because you. Yeah. And, and that's what defense do because they can skate well, even better today. You know, defensemen are great skaters. Or, or in our day, your bottom four defense were pretty tough, but maybe they didn't skate as well. Yeah. You mentioned Dave Anderchuk. I'm just going to say that for the listeners like that. To me, that was the most obscure trivia question of all time. Like, I mean, I knew Dave Anderchuk was a good player, but I didn't understand how great he was. And for him to have the, like the NHL record for most power play goals in the history of the game. Like, I don't know many people that would have had him on that top 10 list, right? You think of all the great players, right? Like whether it's Lemieux or Gretzky or Hall or all these great goal scorers. And Dave Anderchuk was number one until just a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, uh, Ovi ended up knocking him off. Like, what a yeah. career he had! Well, he's well, he he had he was so good in around the crease, big six foot four five, long stick. And he in around the crease, I don't know anybody with better hands when I played with him in Toronto. And and he started, you think of why he got all these points a because of his skill, but he got to play with centermen. You know, he, he played with the McGillneys, the Lafontaines, the Howard Chucks in Buffalo, and then you get to Gilmore 
in, in Toronto and, and, and you put these smart centermen with this guy in front of the net and just scoring. And so, like he was a magician in front of the net because yeah. he could protect the puck and block out defensemen. And he had the best, uh, he had the best set of hands for big man back in our day. That's cool. Two questions to wrap up. I, I, I don't want to take all your time, but I did want to talk to you about leadership. You were the captain of the, of the Leafs there for three seasons. Uh, you had a letter on your chest uh, in other places as well. What, um, like what, what, what was your leadership style and, and, uh, and what do you, what do you feel that captain does at an NHL level? Like as far as really creating that culture and, and what, what teams want to do? Well, I think sometimes it's tough. Um, I, I always say you're captain because a lot of it's done in the NHL level. Once marketing got good, you give the best player your captaincy. And it's, some, it's not fair to these players to get it that young because they don't know the city, the town, the game. The, they're good and they're going to be the team's best player, but they haven't learned the job part of it yet. So I always said your best, you know, your captain is you, you, you can communicate with every player. Uh, you, you show up on time and you work your butt off. So if you can get along with everybody, you can. And so you have that respect, not as just being the best player. Uh, where sometimes uh, because the marketing of the game, uh, we see 18, 19, not 18, but say 19, 20 year olds getting it in the NHL. And they have to grow into that yet. Like there's a growing period because they're just trying to be good. Um, yeah. So I feel bad for them when they get it too young um, because they haven't, they, you're worrying about sometimes other people's games as well. When you're the leader on the team, you're not just worrying about yourself. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and the leadership is, is, is about just getting along with everybody, working hard. Um, it's not about um, the old school when people read the books or the movies where all oh, this leadership put the guy up against the wall and he demanded. I said, that doesn't happen because he just turned off that whole player forever. He'll never be a teammate of that guy again if he was to do that on a regular basis. Right. But you got to be, you know, liked by all and and today's game because they're coming from every, you know, how many six to nine different countries are playing in the NHL. You have to have that communication and respect. Um and a lot of times you get it by how you play. Um yeah. How do you, you know, hold Steve, players accountable? Stevie Eisman, Stevie Eisman probably, you know, he went and then they started winning everything and when I played with him in Detroit he was just the quietest guy in the dressing room, but he was the best player in practice. He was the best player in the game. He played in every situation. You just had to respect him by how he carried himself. And that's how he got to be basically captain Canada from playing on every cup team that wins it, the Olympic gold medals, uh, playing and building Olympic teams now and stuff. So, and it's done by how you work, not by talking. And then I wasn't a talker that way to lead by that way. Gotcha. Um, last one, you played against Gretzky, you played against Lemieux. You, I mean, those years were some amazing, amazing players. Uh, who was the best, who was the best in your mind, um, from, from, from the seasons that you were, you were around the game? Um, best team player with skill guy. I, I want to say Gretzky as the best, the best individual talent I ever played against was Mario. What he could do with a six foot five and reach. And, and I think the 87 Canada cup that I, I got to, go to as a 19 year old and Mario was a 20 year old. I think he really learned from Wayne because right after that Canada cup, Pittsburgh started really, he learned how to be that team guy and bring players together. And, and, and Mario had he, heck he come back, he come back from what is it, one year. He, he didn't come back from me. He came back from cancer and won MVP and Stanley cup. Like <laughs> the rest of us come back with a sore knee. He comes back from cancer and, and, and is the best player on the ice. And, and so he, 
those two guys are there's in my era there's no real comparables right so you run that you were on that 86 Canada Cup team no I was 87 Canada Cup I was last cut and 91 Canada Cup I was last cut but just you know every day at training camp you're a member of 87 Canada Cup and in Montreal, and one day Howard Chuck's your centerman, Hall of Famer. The next day Eiserman might be your centerman. The next day Gretzky's your centerman, and and, and I think Wayne one one day in training camp he he said because he used a Titan and I used a Titan. He says I'm going to use your stick. He he went out in inner squad, got three goals, give it back. And he says, Yeah, no, it's not the stick. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at my stick. I said, Why would you do that to me? <laughs> oh yeah that's right that was 87 87 was the one where mario went shelf in the last game went with shelf, murphy yeah because that the funny story on that face-off got to know dale howard really well before he passed and he he started the canada cup as the fourth liner then he really played up the lineup and all of a sudden they threw him out for the face-off and he so he skated on the ice he tells this story he goes i was skating on the ice i go up to wayne okay where do you want me you're taking the draw and wayne goes i'm not taking the draw and then he skates over to Mario. Mario, so you're taking the draw. And he says, no, no, I'm not taking the draw. So he got guilted into the draw. And then he wins the draw and they go down and score the goal. But it's not like he says, I didn't think I was taking the draw. Those best two players in the game are on the ice. And so they said, no, no, you're better at this than we are. So and then so that's I might have those three Hall of Famers on the ice. Wow. What an environment that must have been. Did you feel uh i don't know worthy did you feel like you belong there like yeah. well you, you you really realized how good players are when i got to all of a sudden play with players that were that in a training camp because you're there for a month uh with 40 guys until they start cutting it down back when training camps and and just you're playing centerman and you're getting the puck as a winger i said well how'd you even see me you know mario can hit you wayne because the other centerman i was playing with my own did they weren't this good and they were pretty good. You know, they're guys that played 15 years, but you all of a sudden get to play with the likes of the, the best of the best. You realize why those wingers score a lot of goals because uh, right. these centermen are that good. Um, and, and so it was just fun being a training camp with the skill level and, and just all the guys and everybody's in a good mood because uh, the good guys know who's making it. It's really five guys we're trying out. So the 15 guys know they're on the team and there's five of us. There's five spots for the, the other 25 guys kind of thing. And, right. and so we had stress, but being I was only 19 years old at the time, I pretty much knew I wasn't going to make it. But just the, the the learning you did just playing with all these guys. Yeah, that's fantastic. I remember I had Jerome Aginlaw in here, and he talked about when he was uh, he got called in to try out for the World Cup team because of some in, like kind of a last-minute sort of replacement sort of scenario. And um, – and just like that, like the psychology of that, right? Like one being invited, two being around the likes of you know Mario and these players uh, at a young age, like, and then and then to realize in in I mean, I'm paraphrasing him, but like that he was like that he did fit in, that he could play there, you know, like was a real kind of eye opener for him and a massive confidence boost to let him know that yeah, like I I I am not only am I an NHLer, but I I am good enough to to be around these types of players. And he said that was one of the big things that kind of allowed him to let his career take off, you know, and, and become the player that he did. Yeah. And I think because you all look across, you look up and you realize everybody's the same, you know, every time you get traded from different teams, you don't really know when you get there. No, oh, they're all just like us. Like it, it's not that complicated, even though when you're looking from the outside in and you don't know, you really think somebody's way and they're not, no, they're just normal, just like us. And that's yeah. all the guys. And the better the team guy is, or as a captain or a leader, 
the more normal they really are because they're they're relating to everybody yeah, and it's no. not just the players it's the training staff it's everybody throughout that dressing room yeah no that's good that's probably a good way to end and i will end because you know you you were born in 66 right 66 yeah yeah so i was born in 76 so like 10 years now, like at our age, isn't that big of a deal, but it walking into the NHL at 20, you know, when I got traded to you guys and you're 30, like that's a whole generation essentially. Right. Cause I was 10 years old watching you in the NHL for six, seven, yeah. eight years. Right. So you were definitely one of my guys that I was like, you know, I loved watching the Don Cherry's rock'em sock'em and you were scoring goals and, and running over people and, and getting in these fights. So for me to walk in that locker room, uh, like you were one of the, like the aha kind of guys, you know, it was like, holy shit. You know I mean? I'm playing with Wendell Clark. Like that's insane, you know? And, um, and yeah, but like you said though, but you're just, you're just a regular guy, you know, like you're a regular guy who was Wendell Clark, who was an idol you know, of mine growing up, but you're just a, you're just a good dude. That was, uh, that was my teammate. And I think that was sort of, uh, getting through the psychology of that for me, right. Was like allowing that to happen. Like, yeah, I am supposed to be in the same locker room with this guy. Uh, that was something that uh, that I had to adapt to, you know. I maybe never really did adapt to it, but like the the yeah, the no, it's a, no, it's true. We're all we're, everybody's kind of the same, and I I know I'm tell my son, son that trying out, he's you know you're playing in the minors. I said you have to have the confidence. Everybody's the same, whether you're playing Hershey Bears or Washington Capitals. I said technically you're all the same. You 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 have to get that confidence. Confidence is so big, yeah. Because um, yeah. that if you don't have it, it really changes how how you play. Yeah, 100%. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, awesome to catch up. I really appreciate your insights. Um, oh, the last one, though. How long was your stick? Where did you Where did you have it cut to on skates? That's the, On skates, it was there? On skates, it was probably here. I changed with my length. Uh, I'd always try to go longer in training camp because you got to use a long stick. And by the time training camp ended, I was right back because I handled the puck a lot in close to the feet. I felt more comfortable. And yeah. with one hand, I felt better, stronger with a shorter stick. Uh, and I could get it away quicker. When I used a longer stick, as I tell parents a lot of times, I said, it really matters on the stature how you skate it. You know, if you're skate straight up and down, you can handle a longer stick. If you bend over in a crouch, you know, Wayne bent right over and then used a four, fly four, four and a half, just to do what he had because of yeah. his stature. It doesn't, the length of the stick isn't written in... And, and kids today, I think, use longer sticks than we did in our yeah. era. Yeah, they totally do. And that's one of the things I've been kind of having the discussion about is, you know, especially, I mean, you talked about how learning how to shoot a puck, like the straighter the stick, probably better for them. I think learning how to handle a puck, the shorter the stick, the better for them too, right? To get understand. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's sometimes, especially when I was coaching and parents, they go to their, they'd send their kids to a defenseman camp and they go, you got to have your stick, it's this long. I said, teach your son how to handle the stick when he's a youngster. Yeah. get the right length you know because shorter is better to handle a puck then as he becomes older he can play with getting a stick longer i said but if you never learn to handle a puck at all you're going nowhere anyway especially in today's game so you don't don't all of a sudden at age 10 turn yourself into the seventh defenseman on the nhl roster poke check and that's it <laughs> right well that's a great way to play to end thanks you've been a great ambassador to the game i know that you've been a long long beloved uh, maple leaf for good reason and uh, like i said one of one of my idols growing up so thanks for sharing your experience with us today and uh, appreciate you being on all the best thank you best of luck jason well 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 wasn't that amazing Mr. Toronto Maple Leaf himself um, has to be one of the most recognizable names in Maple Leaf history and definitely one of the most 
endeared players uh, to ever wear the Maple Leaf. Um, so funny and ironic that, you know, he was 17 when I was there. I was 17 coming from Florida, and uh, they end up giving me seven. Uh, <laughs> he says, uh, you, you should have asked me for it. Probably wouldn't have given it to you. But anyways, that's true, Clarkie. Um, it was an honor to play with him on his line for those couple games that I, that I was able to. Boy, I wish we would have uh, had a little bit more success, or maybe me personally, and would have been able to play with uh, with him and Matt's a little bit longer. But so it goes, such is life. And um, and now here we are having a conversation. So Wendell, if you have listened or are listening, thank you very very much for spending your time with me and with my audience. Uh, so many good things to learn from you and from your experience and and from everything you've done within the game. And uh, and for all you players out there, if Wendell Clark can shift from defense to forward after seeing his name on a board in the dressing room uh, and going on to have the career he did, I'm sure that you can benefit from being moved around or you can have the mental agility to be able to handle a position change from your coach and do the best you can with that position change because you never know where that position change will take you. You just got to keep an open mind uh, and learn from one of the best like Wendell. He was obviously able to keep an open mind and it seemed to work out pretty good for him. Although, I would love to know what his career would have looked like as a D-man, because I'm sure that would have been pretty fantastic too. Uh, maybe a little Scott Stevens-esque. But uh, anyways, that's for another conversation. Uh, once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. And until next time, play hard and keep your head up.